What's up, everyone, and welcome to the ABZ Show, where my guest today is someone I met not too long ago, but our relationship kicked off on the right foot. Please let me introduce to you Ibrahim. Hi, Ibrahim. Hey, how are you? Good, excellent. All right, so tell me more about you and tell me what, what do you do? My name is uh, Ibrahim. I'm a marketing graduate from the American University of Sharjah. And I graduated around seven years ago. Uh, however, I had the startup infection uh, long before that. And I always wanted to have my own thing, do something for myself. Um, and even before I graduated, I was part of a startup that was doing uh, marketing communications for individuals, for high net worth individuals. And um, that's how my startup you know, journey started. That's how I became sort of an entrepreneur, if you want to call it. It, it is super cool. That yeah, so you've had the bug for a while. And I think it's a very rewarding bug in the long run, but in the short term, it, it bites. <laughs> Unfortunately, I had to let the marketing communications startup go because it was a question of finishing my education or sticking with the startup. And unlike a lot of the, you know, cliche success stories you hear about people, uh, you know, dropping out and, and pursuing their startups, I decided to take a different route and I had decided to finish my uh, degree. I had just about a year left and I thought, you know what, I, I still have time. I'm still young. I can uh, take another crack at it. And that's exactly what I did. As soon as I graduated, I got into a very tough sector construction and we focused on a niche of glass design within construction and we used to do design works for uh, different clients so for instance uh, there's a public park in Abu Dhabi that we did and uh, then there was a very famous restaurant called Spider Station in uh, Jumeirah I'm sure uh, quite a few people have you know have heard of it uh, we did all the glass works over there the design the uh, you know making it look antique and, and stuff like that and that was uh, that was a very very good period in my life where I thought you know what this is it like Ibrahim you've made it you you've cracked the code you know you graduated you've got everything going perfectly well and then life happened so I know one of the themes of the, the episode is is about failure so I think that's where the real episode starts you know um i was expecting something and then something else happened the partner i was working with sort of uh, didn't turn out to be as straight as i expected and he sort of screwed me over you know i didn't get my cut and uh, that was you know when i the first time i sort of faced reality in life you know things can go wrong and uh, although i was bummed out i was very bummed out in in the beginning but uh, I had to get back on my feet, you know, there's like, as an entrepreneur, you just can't give up. And uh, that's one of the things that I've over time built in myself. It's the resilience and the persistence to keep going no matter what. Um, and that's, that's a, the mantra I live by today as well. You know, even with, with uh, small projects or big projects, sometimes you land them, sometimes you don't. Uh, and sometimes even bigger things happen, your business fails. So after I got done with the uh, construction sector, I did a few things here and there. Uh, I got into textile trading. I know these aren't very tech focused, which is what a lot of people do nowadays, which is what they think startups are. 
but there are more there are startups in the traditional industries as well which which i think is a very very big space because nobody's looking at them really and those industries can be revolutionized you know uh, and this is what's happening right now with the big ones that have come up for instance edtech or fintech you know these were traditional industries which people felt you know what it's it's time the time is right for their you know tech to come into them and make people's lives easier so there are even more traditional industries out there uh, and that revolution is not going to stop with edtech or fintech you know people should never feel like you know what the time has passed oh man i should have started this uh, at that time i wish i was at that time in such a situation there's no such thing as the right time and uh, you just have to go for it and there are a lot more industries waiting for that revolution to happen so i've always i uh, stuck to those sort of industries and uh, that's what i'm doing right now i you know i'm in the perfume industry and we're trying to sort of uh, change um, the perfume industry one step at a time we we offer personalized perfumes uh, through a website and we're sort of taking advantage of the e-commerce space we're sort of uh, in the fashion industry um, it's challenging and it's rewarding at the same time so i think we're carving a niche out for ourselves amazing amazing and and you know i'm going to highlight a couple of questions and uh, that honestly you touched on that i'd like to get more information and obviously uh what you know uh, the whole startup uh, tech startup ecosystem is like sexy and everybody wants me and but you know the sme is the backbone of every economy you know like these smes are the backbone and you know and now some of the smes are getting into this tech enablement field where they want to leverage the technology and they're not tech businesses but you know you've mentioned and we've had a couple of guests on the show that are not tech businesses uh, you know and this is something that um you know um is an advancement or an evolution of the sme market too right so that whole tech enablement getting them to um actually start looking into how to improve their processes and their day-to-day um, it's, it's very, very important, you know, the textile industry, fashion in general, fashion and uh, fashion tech and fashion uh, and uh, tech enabled businesses are uh, on the rise tremendously, actually. So let me let, before we talk about the perfumery, I know that the one that you've been you've started the whole bespoke, uh, you know, perfume experience. I want to just touch on one more thing. You know, we talked about failure. So what do you think in your construction uh, business? What did you think uh, that you guys did wrong or what did you, what was the perception there? You know, what was the recipe of a couple of components that caused the failure? Was it ambition? Was it ego? Was it not the right fit with the co-founder? Please tell me more. I think it was a lot more fundamental than that. And uh, this is something that, you know, first time founders or co-founders really need to think about is getting their agreements inked on paper. So that was one of the fundamental mistakes I made at that time, where I had a word with the co-founder who was unfortunately in the position of power at that time, because he was, uh, he was the one who was, you know, licensed and everything. I was just, you know, along for the ride. Like now, if I look back on it, that's what it was. Uh, I did, I failed to get an agreement in place. And even though I had, uh, you know, proof, I had uh, whatever, like if I wanted to chase it, 
I could have, but I did not have an agreement in writing, which is why he was able to, you know, sort of go back on his deal. Apart from that, I think the business itself was amazing. You know, within the first year, we bagged deals worth almost 1.5 million dirhams and we executed them to perfection. Uh, and it could have gone on. Uh, you know, that was something that I could have taken forward. And we could have carved out a niche for ourselves in that market as well. In fact, to this day, seven years later, I still get calls from some of those clients, you know, asking me like, hey, man, are you still in the field I like this, this, this? I, I help them out. I, I guide them. But uh, my fault at that time was not taking it as a business as I should have, uh, which I learned the hard way. And, you know, basically inking everything on a piece of pen and paper. There's, you know, the pen, they say the pen is mightier than the sword. It is, it is. You know, you know, funny enough, um, I know you attended one of my scaling workshops and, uh, and I think I have a slide about relationships that you need when you start a business that nobody ever thinks about. And uh, I think I had lawyers and accountants <laughs> and finance people are number one because yeah, you know, everybody has a good, um, you know, a good faith. They, they get they enter a business with somebody on good faith or on a handshake. And some people do come through all the way. But you know what? Um, usually when with success, with a bit of ego, with, the, with money, you know, things change. And, uh, you know, you, you felt it. Okay. I felt it they many, do. many times. All right, so let's talk more about the perfumery. How did this idea come to you? I'm sure you have tons of learning because it's not your average day-to-day -day business. Let's talk more about that. Sure. Early 2019, a friend of mine uh, was launching a, a company of, uh, you know, private label perfume manufacturing. I sort of, you know, I had some money left over from a job I had done. So I was like, you know what, I, I, I'll invest with you. And we'll see where this goes. So I invested with him, and when he when he started out, he was he was always focused on the big ticket items. You know, he was focused on trying to get big orders. You know, with low margins, but the volume is so high that you know the low margins make up for it. During that time, we used to get tons. I mean, tons like like fifty inquiries a day from people all over the world. They wanted to place low volume orders, 100 pieces, 200 pieces, and they were willing to pay a premium for it. But unfortunately, the industry is, is geared towards high volume. And additionally, there's no system in place to take care of those customers. So you'd have to, even if you wanted to take those orders on, you'd have to individually speak to everyone about every design aspect. How do you want the box, bottle, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it's a very, very, very long and arduous process to go through. So nobody wanted to take care of them. Nobody wanted to take them on. And, you know, that was the time that was happening. I wasn't thinking about it much, but it was happening. The data was gathering. That, that period of, uh, you know, my life lasted about four months. And once we parted ways, uh, I was on the hunt, you know, for my next thing. Like, what am I going to do next? I tried. I don't know if you remember. I, I, I came to you. I came up to you randomly once and I asked you, like, about the rental space. And that was one idea that I was thinking about. And uh, you shot it down. You're like, listen, this industry is not ready for it. 
uh, go for something else at this time. This market is just not big enough for that, uh, which I agree in hindsight, by the way. I'm glad I took your advice. And then this idea was there in the back of my head, you know, that, that there's, this, there's this huge segment uh, that nobody is catering to. Nobody wants the hassle of dealing with them. So that's how Perfumery was born. Um, we decided to come up with some sort of a tech-enabled solution through which we could uh, make the process of designing their perfumes easier. And from there, it sort of uh, pivoted, not because that segment is not ready. It's there. It's, it's ripe for the taking. But uh, we wanted to bootstrap. And uh, building a solution that was going to be uh, very heavy on the tech side, having a live design tool, uh, would have been uh, fairly costly. So we pivoted uh, to keep ourselves financially viable from day one. Mm -hmm. um, and we went into individual perfumes, which is a much easier place to navigate. It's, you know, it's retail. Um, it's, uh, the market is a bit tougher to crack, but the business aspect of it is, is much easier to handle. So we started with that and then slowly and, and gradually we're moving into the space of, you know, allowing people to design their own custom bespoke perfumes and placing an order for, let's say, 100, 200 pieces, uh, whatever they want. And that market is, is pretty huge. Uh, the volumes are lower, but the margins are higher. So that's how we started perfumery. You know, it, it stemmed from, you know, studying the market, uh, understanding that there is a segment that's untapped and going for it amazing so tell me now tell me some stories that you know you said oops you know like in the perfumery i'm sure you have quite a bit of them i'm sure like sometimes you know the scents or working with the people with the bottling i, I like i i want to hear like one or two learnings that you've had i'm not going to call them failure i'm going to call them learnings Definitely. I don't think there's, I mean, if you, if you survive it, it's learning. <laughs> if you don't, <laughs> well, <laughs> um, obviously there, are, there's quite a few, but um, I think two that stick out the most and uh, Haram, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about the field in a negative aspect because it has its own uses, but PR. So, uh, uh, this was very recent, in fact. In November, uh, we had some money uh, saved up from an order we did. And I was looking at ways to obviously, you know, increase our marketing, getting the word out. And I decided to splurge out a bit on uh, PR camping. So you know, I was, uh, I used to talk to a, a PR consultant time to time. And, you know, I decided, you know what, let's, let's do this professionally and see where it goes. Um, and we paid her and she was very nice. Yeah, she's, she's really great at her job. Uh, she reached, you know, she reached out to everyone. Um, we weren't ready for it. Mm. So our product um, wasn't ripe enough for us to, to, you know, do a big enough PR campaign. And additionally, uh, you need to have big bucks to throw at PR. So that's one oops sort of a moment I would, if I could go back and I change, I wouldn't spend that money on PR. I would rather focus on, on building my product or, you know, diverting some of it to AdWords uh, or Google ads. That's much, you know, easier to scale and much easier to measure than PR. 
So unless you're loaded with cash, you've got investors or you, you know, you're super in a, you know, you're in a space that is, is um, hot right now. Don't go for PR. Actually PR, um, um, you know, it's a two edged sword, you know what I mean? Because uh, I, I do believe in PR uh, and I do believe in like uh, these customer facing, I think, it should be done in the right time. Uh, and I think it's time when you are ready to scale to tell people, look, I have the capacity. Uh, as you said, like you guys were not ready for it internally. And that's something that, you know, you'd revisit and stuff like that. So tell me, what was the second one? Second one was, uh, so we obviously were making perfumes. Uh, it's been uh, three or four months since we started, you know, we're sort of picking up steam. Um, and then we get an order out of out of the blue for uh, like a bulk order, and you know this is big because obviously you know we're we're bootstrapping, we've got payments to do, and this this is a game changer. Like at least we we have the the cash to last for a few more months, you know, pay the bills. And uh, that order came through. Everything was great. We were doing great. And one night before delivery, we were still not ready, and. Um, we were supposed to deliver it on a Friday because it was for an event. And on Thursday night, we had all the bottles bottled up and, you know, we put them in an, in a corner and, you know, we had them designed nicely, really beautiful. We're just really tired, went to sleep, you know, and we woke up the next morning and one of the bottles had a crack in them that sort of grew overnight and that bottle, you know, it broke down. And uh, the perfume that was in it, obviously, it, it spread and it it uh, it got on all the bottles that were around it, and they just just write them. So it was like out of let's say two hundred uh, pieces, like seventy nine of them got damaged, and that's like if percentage wise, it's like a it's it, it's a it breaks you, you know, and it was. Friday night, we have to deliver. What do we do now? So that was a huge oops. But in that moment, um, obviously, we, we had to pay a little extra. Um, but I realized how important your partners, your suppliers are. Because I sent out a message that very morning. Uh, this is a Friday. And I'm like, listen, guys, we have an issue and we need we've got the designs ruined and we need to redo them they did not ask me once um whether you know this is a friday you need to pay extra this that they came on board they're like listen shops open come in anytime you want and uh, we'll get started on it and that's what we did we went straight there we got the design done uh, again and uh, you know guys worked overtime uh our guys worked overtime and we finished that order in time. So we did lose a bit of money in that, but the order was successful. Since then, I've had this view of actually keeping my suppliers top priority. So I, I try and take very good care of them. I try to pay them um, whatever is due to them before time and to make sure that these guys are you know, as happy, if not, you know, more happy than, than I am. Because you never know when you might need someone. 
and they don't trust you to, you know, come through on your word or they don't trust you to, I don't know, make the payments on time or you're just plain rude to them. And uh, when you're in a moment of need, you, you know, you're basically belly up. You know what? And, and relationships, honestly, are whether it's with your employees, your customers, your suppliers, your board members, your investors, that is what really drives the business. Honestly, I can tell you, like, the more you're in touch with all these five angles, the more successful you're going to be. It's going to be hard in the beginning, obviously, because because um, you are the CFO, the CEO, the CMO, everything. But you're also, most important, you're the chief relationship officer, right? So, all right, uh, let's let's move on to something that I, I want to know because I know you're you know you're young. What really motivates you? Uh, there, there's going to be cliche answers. I think I, for me personally, it's always been a drive towards building something for myself and something that's a bit you know that's that's larger than myself that outlasts me. So a company that becomes sort of a legacy. I can I can I can call it my own. That I think is is, is a driving factor, um, and at the same time, it's it's I think it's something much more innate because uh, having a support system around you is very important. And unfortunately, um, and no one in my family was ever in business, so for me that support system has been lacking. And I think that challenge even drives me even more. That you know what I need to make this happen. I need to prove everyone, uh, you know, the naysayer is wrong, and that sort of builds up over time. Uh, very, very admirable, actually. And I think you know a lot of people talk about legacy and they talk about fulfillment, which is what you've been talking about. And I think it's something that is, it does drive a lot of people. You know, and I, I rarely work with people that say that says uh, money motivates me. Don't get me wrong, money is super important. So, okay, so let me ask you like a super cliche question, okay? What do you think, you know, the three things that made you where you are right now? Like, I think the, the foremost amongst them is definitely uh, resilience. You know, you have to stick to what your dreams are, no matter the cost. And the more you believe in it, the more true it gets. It's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, I guess. So the persistence and resilience, I think, is very important. Uh, and that's true, actually, in, in, in all walks of life. You might not make it today. You might not make it tomorrow. Someday, somehow, somewhere, uh, you might. The second thing which I touched up a bit on in the first point is dreaming. So you've got to dream big. Uh, you've really got to like go wild with your dreams. And the third thing is have really, really good mentors and advisors. So find people, find peers who sort of want to be going in the same direction that you are. So have a very, very uh, thought, well thought out support system of advisors, mentors, and you know, peers and friends that, that take you where you want to go in life. And you know what, um, you kind of summarized, you know, how I would even describe you is definitely you're resilient and, 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 but I think your biggest one is the ability to learn and the ability 
to just sit down and to listen to mentors. One more thing that something I'd, I'd also like to add is you kind of eliminated that safety net while you, you are, do, do experiment. And it's, you know, even if you, as you say, learnings or failure, you do pick yourself up and go. And that's, you know, that's where resilience comes in, right? And that's something that I, I personally like in you. And, and I think that's why, you know, I, I've only known you for a year now, but, but I think the things that were the conversations that we've had, I think were tremendous in my opinion. So my last question to you before we close off, and I've been asking this question to everybody is, if you had a superpower, what would that be? Or if you want to be a superhero, who you, who would you be? Um, I don't know if you've seen The Boys, the show, the TV yeah. show. One of the superheroes is is like a anti-hero version of, I guess, Superman. Basically, he has all the superpowers of, of Superman, but uh, none of the ethics. So he goes around on rampages and he just uh-huh. does whatever he wants. So I think I, if I ever wanted a superpower, it would be, you know, to be like Superman, but not have, like, to have fun with your power. You know what I mean? Okay. Like to actually be able to do whatever you want with it. Okay. <laughs> Rather than just, you know, I'm, I'm going to save the world. No, screw the world. I'm going to enjoy myself. Nice. Well, at least you're honest. That I like that. I never expected that you would say something like this. That kind of changes my perception about you now. So I don't know. <laughs> so, but if we're having fun, might as well make it fun, right? This is why, you know, this is this is real talk. And by the way, the hashtag for the show is uh, hashtag real talk, no nonsense. So uh, anything you would like to tell our audience or, you know, everybody who's listening to the show? Just keep at it. Don't give up. You know, you you will doubt yourself. It's not going to be easy. You will, you know, your friends, your family, your peers, everyone is going to tell you it's not possible. It is. Elon Musk made a reusable rocket, man. I couldn't even think of that if I tried. You know, so it's, nothing is impossible. You just have to keep going at it. Persistence is always the thing. So, all right. Thank you very much, Brahim. Loved having that chat with you. And uh, until next time. My pleasure. It was great being here on the show. Until next time, um, stay safe.